The scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 22 through 44, and it can be found on page 891 in the Black Bible. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The word of the Lord. Thanks, George. Thanks, Ashley. Welcome, everyone. My name is John Trapp. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. Uh, if this is one of your first times to Christ the King, a special welcome to you. It really is uh, a delight to have you joining us in worship today. Uh, last week, 
we consider the first part of this passage in John 6, when Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children miraculously uh, with fish and bread. And I said last week that it depicts a quote that we really like to refer to a lot here at Christ the King from a 19th century missionary named D.T. Niles, who said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. And what that means is that every single one of us, whether you've been going to church your whole life and following Jesus your whole life, or if this is the first time you've showed up to any kind of religious thing in your life or in a long time, each one of us shows up here as spiritual beggars. Each one of us shows up as people who are in need. But the good news is that God gives us the bread that our souls actually need. What verse 27 that the Clarks read says that the food that endures to eternal life is available to us because the Son of Man will give it to us. But that, that begs the question, okay, how? How does that happen? In other words, if, if I'm not a Christian, if a fellow beggar tells me where they found this bread, how do I get it? Or if you are a Christian here this morning and you've, been, and you've been given this bread, how did you get that bread? And what does it mean for you today? Well, Jesus is going to explain this to us the day after he's fed the 5,000. How to get the bread that we ultimately need, the bread of salvation, the bread that endures to eternal life. So I want us to see in my outline this morning that we get this bread first by grace, that's my first point, by grace, second, through faith, and the third point is in Christ. So we get this bread by grace, through faith, in Christ. And I hope that this is good news for you today, so let's pray and ask God to help us hear it. Let's pray. Lord, what a gift it is to have your word preserved for us and given to us in love. And we pray that now your spirit would help us to hear um, the words that Jesus spoke uh, and the words that you speak to us even now. Uh, some of these words are challenging. Um, they're life-giving. Help us to hear your heart in them, your heart for sinners like us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ever played a game of hide-and-seek, who's played hide-and-seek recently? Okay, there we go. All right, I see you. I see that hand. When you play hide and seek, if you're anything like the trap house, there's a negotiation that starts at the beginning of the game. Who gets to hide and who gets to seek? No one wants to be the seeker, right? We all want to be the hider. The hider is the fun job because what is it like? If you've been a seeker, you know what it's like. It's kind of lonely. It's a little scary sometimes to walk into that dark closet and you don't know what's coming out at you. It's a little scary. It's kind of lonely. It's kind of anxiety inducing. You don't know if you're just going to be walking around for a long time, not finding what you're looking for. And I think for many of us, that's how we not only imagine, but experience our spiritual lives. Casting ourselves in the role of seeker that you have to seek out God and find him. And, and when we cast ourselves in that role, what we find is fear, 
and anxiety and loneliness. And our passage begins with seeking. Did you see that word a couple times in the passage, the very beginning of this passage? Verse 24, the people get into the boats and they go to Capernaum. What are they doing? Seeking Jesus. There's this desperation in their seeking. They're chasing Jesus. And then, you know, if you were starting a ministry, you'd think, great, this is awesome. Everyone, this crowd is, they're coming after Jesus. They want to hear from him. But you see in verse 25, Jesus is actually not impressed with the seeking. Again, Jesus speaks about their seeking in verse 25. He says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's not impressed with their seeking because he knows their hearts. They've gotten into their boats. They've gone out seeking for him because they have their own ideas about who Jesus should be and what he should do in their life. In fact, at the end, if you remember last week, at the end of Jesus feeding 5,000 people fish and bread, they try to make him king and he leaves because he doesn't want their own ideas for Jesus to be true. He wants his idea for them to be true. He knows what they need, even though they think they know what they need. And friends, this is what we do. We seek God with our own terms, with our own demands. And when we do that, what that actually means is we're not seeking the true God. We are seeking what we want out of God. And that's Jesus' assessment of this crowd. He says, you're seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. You want, you want me to give you stuff. You want me to be a king who gets you what you want. They're not really seeking after the true God. And we do the same thing. Left to our own devices, we do the same thing in our own nature. We may seek after his things. It's one of the reasons why the prosperity gospel is so popular and draws people. God just wants to bless you and give you money and give you a great house and make you healthy. And we will seek after that. That's, a, that's attractive to us because we want the things of God, but we don't want the true God. We may seek not only after things, but after an amazing experience. This is, this is what can make kind of emotionally manipulative spiritual experiences so attractive. I'm going to go somewhere and kind of get this injection of this spiritual high and feel some type of feelings. And if I can get that out of my experience with God, then I'll get what I really want. But what Jesus says here to these people is what the scriptures say elsewhere, which is that left to ourselves in our own nature, we don't seek after God because we hate God. In our, left to ourselves, in our nature, we hate him. Listen to what John says earlier in the book of John. Right, right after that John three sixteen verse that you know, we love, it's a great verse, I love it too. But listen to John's assessment about people three verses later. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Jesus is the light. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. 
Friends, left to ourselves, we would never come to God. We might seek after something, something of of God's, but we wouldn't come to him because we don't want the real God, the real light, because it exposes us. He exposes us, and that makes us uncomfortable. And in our fallen, sinful nature, we hate that, and we hate him. And the Bible says this elsewhere, too. Romans 3 Paul writes, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Friends, do you understand how utterly bad this bad news is? That if God did not intervene, no one would be saved because no one would be seeking after him. And yet, God does save. He saves some and he does it by his grace. He gives the gift of grace. And people have heard me, uh, when, I, when I've preached this before, whether it's been at the college campus or in a church, I've had people come up to me afterwards and say something to the effect of, okay, but that's not fair. That's not fair because What about the people who are doing their best? There are a lot of good people in the world. What about the people who are really trying hard? What about them? And y'all, I'll be honest, I've had that same thought flare up in my heart so many times. So I don't say that as a how dare you kind of condescending stance, okay? But we tip our hands when we say something like this. That we, that we don't actually think that we're that sinful. That we think that we can actually do something to bridge the gap between our sin and God's holiness. Theologian and pastor named R.C. Sproul said, people often ask me, why do bad things happen to good people? And I say, that's only happened once. And he volunteered. There are, there are no good people. No one seeks for God, but, but God doesn't leave us to ourselves. And Jesus says this, the last verse we heard George and Ashley read, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You see, none of us would ever seek after God, and yet God in his grace, we are saved by grace, God in his grace draws hateful, rebellious sinners to himself. It's his grace. This is how we are saved. If God didn't choose to save anyone, no one would be saved. And yet he does. It's all his grace. Again, I, uh, when I've preached a message like this before, I, sometimes I'll have someone come up and ask me, and by the way, please come ask me questions afterwards, okay? Okay. And I won't say your name if I use your question in an illustration later in a sermon. But I also get questions like this. Okay, if God didn't choose to save anyone, um, I'm sorry, sorry. If, uh, what if you want to come to Jesus, but he doesn't want you? What if you want to come to Jesus, and, uh, but, but for some reason he hasn't chosen to give you his grace? 
But we, this, this is where what Jesus is saying in verse, in verse 44 is so beautiful. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What this means, friend, is your desire to come to Jesus is a gift from the Father. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father has drawn them to Jesus. And that is God's work in your life. And it's a gift. And do you know what this does, to, should do to Christians? It's incredibly humbling. Because it means that you weren't like super intellectual and just like got it when all the other people didn't. Or you weren't like super holy and a better person and got it when everyone else didn't. What it means is you were just as sinful and lost as anyone else and everyone else and God in his grace saved you. We have nothing to brag about. It's the humbling grace of God. It's undeserved and that's what grace is by definition. It's an undeserved gift. And it's something that, what Jesus says in verse 27, the Son of Man gives us. The Son of Man will give you the food that endures to eternal life. So how is that grace given then? Jesus tells them in verse 27, if you look in your Bibles, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And the, the crowds gathered around, they've come seeking Jesus. They say, okay, so... We need to do, we need to work for food that endures to eternal life, which this guy is saying he's going to give to us. So their conclusion in verse 28 is, all right, what do we need to do then? You want us to work for the food that endures to eternal life? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Verse 28. And this is where we might imagine a whole laundry list of things that Jesus might say to them. Here's all the thing, here's the whole list of the works of God. They've asked works, plural. What must we be do, doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus takes that plural works and he makes it singular. He says, this is, look at the next, look at the next part of the verse, verse 29. This is the work, one singular thing. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So Jesus offers the food that endures to eternal life if we do the work of God, and the work of God is this, belief, faith. Second point, we get his grace through faith alone. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Uh, last year, I, I preached a message similar to this, and afterwards, um, someone in our congregation texted me uh, and they said, okay, if we're saved by grace through faith alone, doesn't that kind of just make our faith into a work? Like if, if you're only gonna be saved and your faith is the instrument through which God is doing that, your faith better be pretty awesome, right? If that's what's gonna save you. Uh, I... Uh, I told the story to the student ministry last year, so y'all forgive me if you um, remember this, but I'm gonna tell your parents, okay? My, uh, my first roommate when I got out of college uh, was, he was a mountain man, his name was, his name was John, and he, he grew up on Signal Mountain in eastern Tennessee, um, the oldest of four boys, and they were just kind of wild men. They would go hiking all over the place and exploring the mountain, and he told me, he told me this story 
about when he was a kid with uh, his younger brother. I think John was in like the seventh grade and his little brother was in the fifth grade. And they went hiking up on part of the mountain that they'd never been to before. And they um, were just kind of walking around, climbing trees. They had, a, they had this rope that they were um, kind of slinging around and doing stuff with. And they got to a part of the mountain that they'd never been to before. And it was this big, steep embankment. And then they could see that past the embankment, there appeared to be a very, a very sheer cliff that dropped probably about five or 600 feet. And John, being the wild mountain man that he was, wanted to get a better view of what was past that cliff. So he took his rope, he tied it to the tree at the top of the embankment, and then he began just to kind of let himself down, holding on with his hands. Kids never do this, okay? And he said, he, the, the, the ground underneath him was, uh, it was like loose stone kind of gravel. And as he was doing that, he slipped and he fell and he lost the grip of the rope. And he and all the rocks and loose gravel around him began to slide faster and faster towards that cliff. And he was nearing the edge and he, he told me this, he's like, and trap, if I ever had a video of any moment in my life, it would be this one, if I could have a video of this. Because he said, as he was sliding over the side of the cliff, he looked and there was a tree sticking out from the side of the edge of the cliff. And as he was nearing the cliff, he barrel rolled onto his stomach, grabbed the tree, the tree bent over the side of the cliff and held. His brother was screaming at the top of, of the embankment. He, his brother thought he, his, he had just watched his older brother die until he, kind of like epic movie moment. Saw his, the hand come up over the side of the cliff and they threw the rope to him and he was saved. Now I'll tell you that story because I think it illustrates something that we see here about what Jesus is saying about our faith and what we see all throughout the Bible. And it's this. If my friend John had really, really strongly believed that that tree would hold him and the root system was weak. The root system in that tree was weak. He would have died. See, the object of his faith would have been too weak to hold him. But if he had a very small, weak faith, and he grabbed on to something very strong like that tree and it held. He was saved not because of the strength of his faith, but because of the object of his faith. Kids, y'all follow what I'm saying? This is what's true about what Jesus is telling us too. We aren't saved by having an amazing, superhuman, unbelievable faith. We're not saved by the strength of our faith. We are saved by the one in whom we place our faith. We are saved by the object of our faith, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves us, and he saves us by his grace. It's why he can say in verse 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. You see, Jesus, when he says this, is showing us just how inclusive his salvation is. 
when he says everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, he's talking about all kinds of people with all kinds of struggle. We see that throughout the Bible, the kinds of people that Jesus draws to himself, the kinds of people that he saves. And not only that, he gives us that faith. It's the work of God. Remember, no one would come to the, to the Son unless the Father draws him there. It's the work of God that we would believe in Jesus. God does even the work to give us the faith to believe. It's as if God takes our hand, puts it on the branch, closes our hand around it, and the branch holds. It's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Not even the faith is your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, maybe you're here and you're hearing me talk about this. And you're like, man, what makes Christians think that they're so great? Christians think that, uh, that God would give you this gift of faith. Why, why are you so special that God would give you that gift of faith? But did you hear what Paul just said? We're not that special. It's not a result of our works. It's not because we've done anything to deserve it. We cannot boast, he says. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. It is a result of Jesus' work. We're saved not by the strength of our faith, but by the object of our faith. And Christians, this means that we should be utterly humbled by this. It means that we should never look down on anybody else who's struggling in their sin because we see somebody who's just as big of a struggler as we are. In fact, you know the truth about yourself and you know way more of your own struggle than theirs. It means we should be completely humbled by the grace of God. So we are saved by grace through faith. And thirdly, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. The people come to Jesus asking for this bread. And he tells them, this, this is the work of God that you would believe in him whom he has sent. And so then they say in verse 30, well, what work do you perform that we should believe? And then Jesus begins to talk about the true bread. In verse 32, he says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Y'all, Jesus' work, when they, ask, when they ask, what work do you, do you perform? Jesus' work, the work of God, as he calls it, is that he has stepped into time and space. What work do you perform? The work that he performed is that God took on flesh. He took on flesh to save people who hate him to save people who rebelled against him. He took on flesh for people who would kill him later in this story. He would reveal himself to be the kind of God who heals the man who comes to arrest him. 
Remember that story when Peter cuts off the ear of one of the guys who comes to arrest Jesus? Jesus reveals himself as the kind of God who heals the very one who's come to wrongly arrest him. Jesus reveals himself as the kind of God who would forgive the thief on the cross who just moments before was cursing him. And then as he's dying, asks a very weak statement of faith, by the way, Lord, please remember me. That's not a very strong faith, but it's a saving faith because it's a faith in a strong one. And Jesus looks at that thief on the cross who hasn't done really any works of God his entire life. And as that man is about to die, Jesus promises him, today you'll be with me in paradise because his faith has been placed in the one who can save Jesus reveals himself as the kind of God who would plead for the forgiveness of those crucifying him. This is the grace of God revealed to us in Christ. What works do you perform? The work that he performs is that he's not hidden. See, God is not hidden and we have to go out and seek after him. In fact, God takes on the role of seeker. He is a seeking God. This God comes and takes on flesh, and then he even begins telling stories, telling stories about his own seeking, about the shepherd who goes out and leaves the 99 sheep for the lost one, or about the widow who seeks after the lost coin, or about the father who scans the horizon, searching for his prodigal son, and then goes out and runs to greet him when he returns. He's the seeking God. He's not hiding. He becomes the kind of God who walks right into a city where there is a hated, crooked businessman named Zacchaeus who's a blight on his community, who's a known sinner, and Jesus finds him. Jesus seeks him out and goes to his home, and when Zacchaeus repents, Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to Zacchaeus. And then he says this, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is the grace of our Lord. And he will accomplish all that he has set out to do. And we see this in verse 39. It says, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What a comfort that verse is. What a comfort that the assurance of our salvation is not bound up in our own obedience or holiness, but bound up in his commitment for us. Christian, what this means is that you can rejoice that your name is written in the book of life, that God has sought after you, that Jesus will lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. It's a great comfort to one who struggles. He will never cast you out. You can't lose the salvation that you didn't earn. But instead, you're welcome to return to him over and over in repentance and find that grace is waiting for you in the person of Jesus. It's a great comfort. It's a great comfort when you have a grandmother like mine 
a grandmother who, uh, who lost her memory. She lost her memory the last couple years of her life. In, in, the, in the, the final years kind of leading up to that, we, we got to see God just totally work in her life. She would know Jesus. But in the, in the, the, very, the very last couple years, she, she forgot Jesus, she forgot herself. But the grace of Jesus assures us that he does not forget us when we forget him. He does not forget us because he tells us that he will lose nothing of all that the Father has given him but raise them up on the last day. And if you're not a Christian here, I want you to see that Jesus is telling us it doesn't matter how bad you are, how much you've sinned, he welcomes you to come to him in faith and find grace. And then the funny thing is you can turn around and see that even your belief was a gift that he gave to you and we get to respond to that with thanksgiving and praise because he really is that gracious to sinners like me and you. So let's pray to him now. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your goodness and grace that you displayed to us through your son Jesus. And we pray um, that now you would uh, nourish our hearts as we come to you and remember once more his sacrifice for sinners like us. In his name we pray, amen.